Doesn't it feel like the world's going crazy? Every time we turn around, some new crisis seems to turn society on its head. Is there any hope? The answer to that question is yes, we have hope through Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. In this message, learn the power of the resurrection and how we can have eternal hope through the risen Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians, just to give you a little bit of background because it's important to understand a little bit of the history. The book of 1 Corinthians was written to a group of people at the, what's called the church at Corinth, just like we're a local, visible New Testament church here at Canyon Ridge. They were a local, visible church there in Corinth called the church at Corinth. And it was a church that, for lack of a better term, was uh, they were crummy people. Uh, they, they faced great difficulties and challenges. They, they didn't uh, really try to walk with God. And so Paul, who's the author of this letter to them, it was a letter. Paul, who is the author, is writing this church. And, and it's, it, it's a community, Corinth at the time, that's very similar to San Diego, if you will. Uh, it was a port city. Uh, often they'd have ships come in. They had three major ports. It was, it was a city that was known for its maritime industry and things of that sort. It was a, it was an interesting and important land navigational area. It was in charge of the north, uh, south land navigation areas in the, uh, Grecian empire. And then in the Corinthian region, it was, it, or, or in the Roman era, it was very, very important in, in all of those ways. It was was extremely wealthy. Now, I don't know about you, but San Diego, if, if you've only lived here, you don't understand how wealthy San Diego is. If you go to some other parts of the world and even to other parts of the country, you begin to understand the, the wealth of San Diego. Debbie and I, last year, we were in a, a little town in Louisiana, and, and it was an impoverished area that we were in, and it's just very, very different than the wealth of San Diego, considered today the 14th most wealthy city in the world, the city of San Diego is. I mean, it's a wealthy, wealthy place, the city that we live in. Corinth was the same way. Wealthy, it was a city that was filled with a lot of sin in it. It was a city that was known for debased or, or sensual sins. It was, it was ungodly, really, in a lot of ways on every level. And the Apostle Paul spends the first part of, that, of this letter, really the first 14 chapters, he spends the first 14 chapters correcting things and telling them bad news. It's kind of like when you watch the news and everything that you see is bad. I don't know if you, you but you, you turn on the news, it's a 30-minute program, and 26 minutes of it is bad, and somewhere around minute number 26 to 28, one of the news anchors will say something like this, and now for some good news. How many of you know that story? I like the good news stories better than the bad news stories. I get tired really, really quickly of bad news stories. I just get tired of hearing all the bad news. So when they talk about good news of the pet who was lost in Pennsylvania and walked, you know, through the Appalachian Mountains across the deserts and showed up at the doorstep of its owner in Los Angeles, when those stories happen, I get kind of excited about that. As long as the pet is a dog. If the pet is a cat, I, I just wonder why somebody didn't take us out of his misery. If you like cats, we welcome you to Canyon Ridge Baptist Church and we provide counseling. 
And so, but you get the idea. I like good news. Well, 1 Corinthians is a book that's filled with bad news until we come to verse number chapter number 15 and verse number 1. And Paul starts this out with the word moreover, brethren. He's talking to the church and the word moreover means now with everything that I've said, let me tell you something that's really, really important. And this is what he says in verse number 1. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. I want you to notice this morning the good news is declared. The good news declared. Paul uses this word. It's a, it's a word that sometimes people make fun of. It's a word that sometimes... People ridicule, and that's the word gospel. And the word gospel is just a word that means good news. It's the Greek word euangelion. It, it just means good news or good things. And Paul says, I want to declare this unto you. I want to make this known unto you. I'm going to declare this to you. I want you to hear some good news. You came to church today, and sometimes people come to church, and they're like, I, I don't ever really hear good things. And that's true. Sometimes the Bible is filled uh, with some negative truths that will help us live positive lives. But I'm here to declare to you today the good news of Jesus Christ, the good things about Jesus Christ. Because as I declare unto you, that which I preached unto you, which you have received, and wherein you stand. Now, you got to understand something. If you're a believer here today, and he's talking about the good news or the gospel, or euangelion, when Paul talks about that, he, he's talking about it, and he's declaring it as though they had never heard it, and he's expecting them to be excited about the gospel as though they had never heard it. I declare this unto you. I, I want you to hear this as though you've never heard it. I want you to hear this, he's saying, as though you had never sat under the preaching of the word of God or as though I'm making it known to you as though you had never heard of it before. So whether you know Jesus Christ and you would consider yourself a Christian or whether you would say, I don't, and maybe you're even a skeptic and you'd say, I don't consider myself a Christian or maybe I'm looking or I'm thinking about it. Paul is writing here some good news that he wants you to take on with, with understanding and with um, a measure of, of sobriety, understanding the magnitude of the good news. We not only see the good news declared, we see in verse number two, the good news is assured, by which ye also are saved. Now, that's a word that gets made fun of in our world, which ye also are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. The word saved is a Bible word. We'll say it. We use it. And the word saved just simply means to deliver to make whole, to preserve safe from danger, loss, or destruction. To deliver, to make whole, to preserve from danger, loss, or destruction. And Paul says, I I've delivered this good news unto you, verse number one, by which you also are saved, by which you also are delivered, by which you also are made known. And it ought to encourage the follower of Jesus Christ, and it ought to excite the person who doesn't know Christ that you can be delivered. So we got to understand something. Salvation is not attained by human effort, but by belief 
in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not attained by human effort, but by belief in Jesus Christ. Well, uh, but Chris, come on. Come on. It's the resurrection. Yes, the day we celebrate Jesus Christ rising from the grave, which we're about to talk about. But salvation is not, is not realized or not had simply because you try really hard. Or you do really good things. Or you do a lot of service. That's not how a person gets saved. A person gets saved by believing in Jesus Christ alone. Book of Romans chapter 3 verse number 24. The Bible says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified freely. No cost to you. No cost to me. No cost to anyone. We are justified or found. The word justified simply means just in the eyes of God or found perfect in the eyes of God. And and bring that verse back up. And being justified freely at no cost to ourselves. Nothing that you have done, listen to me, and nothing you can do. We are justified without any cost. By his, talking about Jesus, talking about the grace of Jesus through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so the gospel is assured and salvation is assured to anyone and everyone who will put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse number two is by which you also are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. Now, we need to understand something clearly. The idea, some people say, well, if you believe and you ever mess up, then you're not saved. No, no, no. Somebody's saying here, this is great ramifications in our understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The idea here is if you believed in the wrong thing, Sincerity of belief, if it's directed at the wrong object, sincerity means nothing. You believed in vain. If you believed in something that is empty, if you believed in something that that cannot provide what God promises to provide through Jesus Christ alone, it is vain to believe in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. Meaning... It is eternally, the word vain just means empty, pointless, or worthless. It's talking about in our eternal condition. If you believe in Jesus Christ, uh, there is nothing that is in vain. But if you believe in anything or anyone other than Christ, without a doubt, there is vainness or emptiness at the end state of that. It cannot save. You say, well, on what authority can you say that? Well, look at verse number 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Now, we celebrate today the resurrection, but three days prior, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. This is what the Bible says. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Through his blood. What's that referring to? It's referring to the cross on which Jesus died. And, and we are delivered uh, and we are saved, two Bible words that we see in our text, because of Christ's death for our sins, according to the Scripture. And he was buried, verse number 4, and rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. Christ was murdered on a cross. He was put in a tomb. I've stood in that tomb, my wife and I. And under his own power, this is what we celebrate today and every Sunday, but especially today, he rose again from the grave under his own power. Under his own power. Christ died for our sins. See, I think you have to come to grips with the reality that you're a sinner. And so am I. Well, well, what do you mean you're a sinner? I mean, you're a sinner. You've sinned against God. The word sin means to miss the mark. The word sin means to not hit the standard. You might say, well, Chris, I'm a really good person. I, I, I'm not that bad of an individual. I mean, come on, I'm pretty good. Yeah, but you've sinned against God, and that means you've missed the mark. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is why, listen to me clearly, that is why the resurrection is such a powerful story. Because you've sinned. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. Or what you earn because of sin is an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's why it's called the wages of sin. Salvation is a free gift, but the, what you earn because of sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. You say, well, that's a bummer story. Why did I come to church today? Well, it might be a bummer story, but it's a true story. We're all in the same place. We are every single person in the same place. We are every single person in the same condition. No one is better than the other. I can't stand up here as a guy who's been preaching the gospel for 30 years and say something like this. Like, hey, I'm way better than you because I've been doing this a lot longer. I've read the Bible any number of times. I've done this so many times. No, no. We're all in the same place. No person in this room is better off than any other person in this room. We are all in the same. Here's the Bible word. Lost condition. We're all in the same lost condition. And we have to understand and we have to come to grips with the fact that we're a sinner. We have to understand that. And that we are without hope apart from Jesus Christ. Now you might want to push back on that and I get that. I, I accept that. I even want to push back on it myself sometimes. I want you to imagine with me for a minute that this media tower is a, now let's say, a thermometer of sin. Okay? 
At the bottom of the thermometer are the best people. At the top of the thermometer are the worst people. So these are the lowest sinners. These are the big sinners. And, and uh, at the top are the big sinners. At the bottom are the lowest sinners. And I've been talking to people about Jesus for 43 years. And almost every time that I talk with someone, almost every single time that I talk with someone, they always put themselves down really low. I don't even say that. Like, oh, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as the dude down the street. I'm not as bad as the dude across town. Let me tell you about my mother-in-law. That woman is evil. How many of you are brave enough not sitting next to your spouse to say amen to that? I've got a mother-in-law too, and I look forward to the day when she's in heaven with Jesus and me. Some of you are not married yet. I can't believe you're saying that. Get married. You'll know. You don't know. Some of the mother-in-laws in the room are like, I hope you go to heaven right now. <laughs> that would be a sermon illustration for the ages. Let me tell you that right there. But there's me. I'm not that bad of a dude, Chris. I mean, there I am. I mean, yeah, I've done some bad things, but I'm not that bad. And I mean, I'm a good dad or I'm a good citizen or I'm a good employee or I, I listen to those in my command. I try really hard. I try to be a good parent. I feed my children. I mean, I, I try really hard to do the best that I can do. And, and so on this scale of sin, and let's, let's say that the TV is the top of it uh, because I can't reach up there. Uh, but, but on the scale of sin, this, this being as bad as it is, I'm down here. There's way worse people in the world than me. Way worse folks in the world than me. I got to thinking this week, like, who would be the worst person in the world? Like, who, who could be possibly the worst person in the world? And so this is who I thought of this week after uh, talking to some folks, and that would be Vladimir Putin. Worst person in the world, Vladimir Putin. We used to say Saddam Hussein. And then we'd talk about Osama bin Laden. But we'd say, I mean, and he's a bad dude. Come on, is he not a bad dude? Invading Ukraine, killing innocent people, separating families, destroying innocents, threatening nuclear war, watching people starve to death, shooting people in bread lines, all under his command, all because he required. I mean, I think we could come to an agreement as a general rule that he's a really bad dude, and I don't think there's anybody in this room who's done that bad of things. If you have, please let us know. We need to talk. We have a police break room right over here. We've got friends over there watching the service right now. They'll come and they'll escort you somewhere nice and comfortable. That would be the worst person ever, Vladimir Putin. But here I am. I'm not near as bad as he is, Chris. I mean, if God wants to take judgment on somebody, let him take judgment on Putin and leave me alone. I served my kids tapioca pudding for breakfast, which might be a sin in and of itself. But you know, as soon as you begin to compare yourself to anyone, you're agreeing with the reality that you have failed to meet God's standard. Well, I'm not as bad as him. I would agree with that. I'd high-five you all day long on that. 
But when you say, I'm not as bad as, what you're obviously saying is, I am bad. I have missed the mark. I'm not perfect. I've not attained to a level of perfection. It, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make me better than you or you better than me. Just the reality is we're all on the scale, and we're all on the scale, if you will, of badness. I know it's not good grammar, but it really does make a lot of sense. We're all on the scale of sin. We have every single one sinned against God. We're all right here. Somebody might be worse than you. Somebody might be better than you, but everybody is here. That's why the Bible says with such authority that all men have sinned. All of us. Well, what do I do? Well, the Bible's super clear and it's so helpful on this point. Verse number three and four of our text. I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. You're a sinner and sin separates you from God and sin will send you to an eternity in hell and sin will cost you everything. But Jesus Christ, verse number three, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture or in accordance with what the Old Testament says, Jesus Christ died. Listen to me. He died for you. He died for me. He died for our sins according to the scripture. Look at verse number four. And he was buried. I won't get into the Greek nuances of grammar, but he was buried according to the scripture. And three days later, he rose again according to the scripture. Well, I would want witnesses there. Okay, good. Verse number five. And he was seen of Cephas, a guy named Peter, then of the twelve of the apostles. And after that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. This is what he means. He, he said, when Christ rose again, he was seen of Peter, the most prominent disciple at the time. And then he was seen of all of the disciples, all 12 of them at once. And then he was seen by 500 people at once, and he says, and the greater part remain, or most of them are still alive to this day by the time he writes it. And he's saying this, you can go ask them yourself if they saw the resurrected Christ. If you can get 500 people to agree on anything, you have done something major. At our church, I try to get the people to agree on a few things. Number one, basketball is the sport of Jesus. Some people say, oh, I like football or I like baseball. Number one, baseball is not a sport. Um, you can like it. I watched a little bit of the Padres play yesterday. It took forever. I watched three minutes of it. Watched one play in three minutes. It was like curling in the sun. But we can't agree on favorite sports. We can't agree on favorite foods. I have favorite foods. My favorite foods are the ones that my wife cooks at the moment. So we have favorite foods. And I, I love favorite. I love food. I enjoy eating food. We have favorite ways to work out. We have, we have favorite kind of clothing. We have favorite vacation spots. You say, what's your favorite vacation spot? I love Hawaii. I love Molokai, Hawaii. You say, why do you love Molokai, Hawaii? Because no one's there and you have to know somebody to go there. I know somebody and you can't come. And I love it. 
I love Molokai. I love to go with Debbie. I love to go by myself. I don't really care either way. I love Molokai. We, we have favorite things. We all can't agree on everything. But if you could get 500 people to attest to the fact that they saw one person at the same time, let me tell you, that has massive ramifications. That's a slam dunk case in a court of law. That's 100% guarantee. Uh, judge, we saw him and all 500 of us saw him and all these doubters saw him everyone has seen Jesus Christ that's in that room those 500 people so what does that mean for you it means that Jesus listen to me he died for your sin he died because you're on the on the wall his blood will wash away your sin he died for your sin he was put in a tomb And three days later, he rose again from the grave, proving that he has victory over death, over hell, and over the grave. Jesus Christ died for you. What's the celebration of the resurrection? It's the reality that I'm a sinner. I needed a Savior. Jesus died for me. And if I put my faith and trust in him, he guarantees me eternal life. Well, how do I know he has the power to give me eternal life? Because he rose again from the grave under his own power. Well, but I think that's a fairy tale. A fairy tale that 500 people saw? A fairy tale that the disciples believed in so much that every one of them were martyred for their faith other than the apostle John who was the oldest of them all when he died and he had been banned uh, uh, banned to an isle called Patmos he had been boiled in hot oil he had literally been been persecuted the majority of his life you're telling me they're going to believe in that if it's not true Now listen, I'm one to tell a few stories. I've t- <laughs> if you're a guest here today, that was my wife speaking when she's not allowed to. Uh, I'm one to tell a few stories, but I'll tell you this. I'm not telling any stories that, story that's getting me punched in the mouth if it's not true. No way. And these guys are literally losing their life because of the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. He died that you might have life. How do you have that? Realize you're a sinner. Apologize for sinning against God. That means that we, we use the word repent. It means to agree with God that you've sinned against him and essentially to say sorry for it or to turn from your sin of trusting in yourself and trust only in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the question is today, the resurrection message today, the resurrection message every day is this. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Bible words. Not... Are you better than Chris Chadwick? Are you less of a sinner than me? You probably are. I don't know. 
but we're all on the scale. And because every person that's ever been born other than Jesus is on the scale, we all will die because of sin. The wages of sin is death, but we have victory through Jesus Christ if you'll put your faith and trust in him. And you can do that today. Today. What do I have to do? I have to give money to the church? No, absolutely not. Do I have to do good things? No, absolutely not. What do I do? Realize that you're a sinner. Turn from your sin and turn only to Jesus Christ to save you. You know what most people tell me? They tell me that's too easy. You mean that's all that I have to do? That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Well, I feel like I got to do something else. Nope, nothing else you can do. Realize you're a sinner. Repent of your sin. Trust only Jesus Christ to save you. Have you done that today? Thank you for listening. Hear more messages anytime at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m.